Welcome to Radio Trivia Podcast Edition. I am your host and reviews editor, Michael T.Y.P. Cole. And with me tonight, we have Jay... <laughs> I called you James. <laughs> you're, what an you're, you're a fortunate man, TYP. That is my middle name. <laughs> I'm going to accredit you with some sort of telepathy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Sweet. Wow, so I, I didn't know that. Uh, no, so you have I, to listen to the radio trivia to get these like inside information on your, your favorite characters on Radio Free Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so behind the scenes, behind the music. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So yes, uh, I have Greg with me today, and uh, it's been a while, actually. Yeah, well, the last time we recorded uh, an episode of Radio Trivia together was the, uh, the, the season finale for your journey oh, to... Wow. Uh, that long? Yeah. That's like half a year. And of course, that was, wow. not, that was not a standard format show. So the last time we recorded a standard format show was even longer ago. Wow. Well, it's good to have you back. It's good to be and, back. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, I even was so kind to let you record in the middle of the day. Uh, it's, it um, is a novelty. It's, I could get used to it, but I won't. <laughs> yeah. so, so if you think Greg isn't as good as usual, he's off yeah. his game is because uh, yeah. he isn't delirious and wanting sleep like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, I chose two games. Use a listener request, and James, James, see, yeah. doing it again. It's been too long, man. <laughs> Gre- Greg chose two more games. So yeah, at least this. Greg uh, James. I, I, I must admit, it does at least provide a little bit of a truth. I think the first time we did this, where I didn't know any of them, I was absolutely terrified. I wasn't going to know anything. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I got lucky with some, but. Uh, yeah, this time I've got a flaw. I have a flaw. That's that's amazing. Yeah, and I'm I'm relying on you because I haven't played at least one of the games you picked. Oh, so. I've got plenty to say as I ever. Uh, you know, you can always count on me to be very verbose <laughs> about these things. All right. Well, we're gonna get started here. Uh, enjoy.
And there we have it. The mm. first song. Yeah. I'm sure you know it by now. Well, I think I have got a system in mind, but that's about it. All right. Well, the second song should help you out a little more, I think. Oh, okay. That's pretty. I'd say that confirms the system for sure, but uh, I haven't narrowed down what the game would be yet. All right, so here's a question for you then. Which creatures must be rescued through the course of this game? Hmm.
So which system do you think this is? Uh, I'm fairly certain this is a Genesis game. It certainly has yeah. uh, a, a sort of quite a, a trademark kind of sound that the Genesis games have. Um, yeah, it, it is. I, I Any mean, idea uh, which game? Um, I was really, I was really struggling. The only, I was really struggling for a game on this one. The only thing I was thinking of, um, in terms of with with relation to the question about re- rescuing creatures, was Flicky. But I'm not sure that's ever been on a Nintendo system. Ah oh, man, you're so close. Oh, you I'm are on... so close. Now, this is Sonic 3D Blast for oh. the Mega Drive slash Genesis, which uh, was released for Virtual Console. Yeah, yeah, um, it was. Pretty darn sure. Um, and it's also available on uh, Sonic Mega Collection. But this is Sonic 3D Blast. Um, I think it's been released in all all regions. I actually didn't check, so if I screwed up, I screwed up. But um, no, I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I make fun of this game a little. I think everyone kind of does, but uh, it actually isn't a bad game. It has good music, and uh, all the the controls are a little sloppy because it's an isometric 3D game. Yeah. Uh, it, it still has a lot of charm. I mean, the special stages are are pretty crummy. Really poor facsimiles of, of maybe kind of Sonic 2, kind of. Oh, so is it Not almost really? like a sort of um, a flipping of what normally happens with Sonic games in terms of like the, with like the bonus stages in the normal Sonic games or like the faux 3D stuff? And then yeah, this, right, yeah, this is. is swapped to like side Yeah, stuff. yeah, they have like an overhead, uh, like three rows of collecting rings and stuff, and it's really easy. And in fact, I remember in oh gosh, I don't know, maybe when I was. I guess right around when this game was released or something. Maybe I was in sixth grade, I don't know. But uh, there's a Shockwave Flash game uh, that was kind of the same thing. It was official Sonic. It was, I guess, promoting the the game either for its uh, Genesis slash Sega Saturn release or uh, quite maybe the PC version, I doubt it. But um, And it was basically the same thing as what's in the game. I found that really shocking when I finally played the game because I played this browser game uh, years and years earlier. And then like, <laughs> I pick up the game on, on Sonic Mega Collection. I'm like, this is the same big game. What the heck? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I figure like, oh no, they got have just been dumbing it down for, you know, a browser game. But no, it was no, like the same they were, thing. They were getting their mileage out. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but but I, I don't know if it's the best fit for Sonic. I mean, you aren't going to run around really quickly because... The nature of the game is kind of be careful, you know, it's this full isometric 3D stuff, so there's always this sort of ambiguity in exactly where you are in, in the 3D space. Yeah. And so, I don't know if it's a good fit for Sonic, um, and certainly there are plenty of spots where you don't want to run fast, but it wasn't a bad game, all, all things considered, it was interesting. In those days, though, a lot, a lot of things were a fit for Sonic. I mean, this was like, right, in his pomp, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, he was on everything. Yeah, I, I think all things considered, this was one of his better spin-offs. Yeah. Uh, I like it more than Sonic Spinball, but I think <laughs> some people like Sonic Spinball. I, I, I do not like Sonic Spinball. Uh, um, this was Traveler's Tales, right? The development, this was it? Yes, um, it was. And and they, they, yeah. they've done a lot of like outsourcing work for Sega over the years, haven't they? Um, they did the, the Super Monkey Ball adventure. Um, that came out. Yeah, I brought this up on the uh, RFN special on outsourcing, and Traveler's Tales has done a lot of stuff. I, I can't think of anything else, but 
they've done a lot of these kind of pseudo outsource things. I guess like the Lego Wars, right? They do like Lego Star Wars and Lego. Yeah, they, they've Lego done some of the versions. It. Yeah, I'm not sure which. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah, so uh, they're kind of a, one of these go-to B teams that that's yeah, like they're not bad, but they don't put in. They're kind of like Tose, or it's like they don't really know how to design a polished game. But they can do a decent job if you give them enough direction. Well, certainly it seems like Sega have been willing or comfortable with handing stuff off to them for, you know, more than a decade. <laughs> I suppose they, yeah, they so. they're somewhat satisfied with the results. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, it's an interesting game. Um, I don't know if I downloaded it for, what, what are they asking, 800 Wii points? It would for, be, yeah. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not worth that. Um, but if you find, like, a... One of the Sonic Mega Collection lying around either the GameCube version or I know it was released on PlayStation 2 and, and Xbox as well. If you pick up one of those versions, um, then it's a good deal because I'd imagine. And I, I, I can only Espe assume, especially if you don't know. Yeah, I was just. I, I can only assume it's going to be on that Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection, that huge compilation of Genesis games for the 360 and the PS3 that's coming up shortly. I guess. They keep, they keep re-releasing this stuff. It's amazing. How many times can they re-release the same games? Well, yeah, um, yeah it's true. I, I'm sure it's been very, very many times now, especially like with the with the, we had, what, the GameCube, Xbox, PS2. Yeah. I, think, I think PSP yeah. like had a, a, a Mega Drive collection or whatever that, that may well have had it on it as well. Th this game came out on the PC, like genuine, not like emulated, like genuinely on the PC. Well, Sega Just used like to do Sonic that. Like Sonic CD yeah. was on the PC, right? Uh, yeah, I owned it for the Sonic. I owned Sonic CD on the PC. Yeah. And it is compatible past like Windows 98. So uh, I was actually happy to be able to play it again. This PC version, mind you, yeah. on uh, Sonic Gems Collection. It's, it is the PC version that they use yeah. for uh, both Sonic R and Sonic CD on the GameCube release, which I think is really amusing. I guess it was just easier. <laughs> I, I guess so. I mean, or maybe I was the only one they had easy access to. I mean, maybe the other versions got lost yeah. to the depths. I mean, it, I mean, there, there were some extra features on at least uh, Sonic R. I think maybe it had more multiplayer support. I uh, suppose that that Sonic R was the Saturn game, right? Saturn and uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so, I mean, emulating something directly from the Saturn, as we've kind of joked about uh, on RFN and, and probably here as well, it's not, it wouldn't be that easy. Yes. So if you've kind right. of already, yeah, so if you've already kind of ported something from the Saturn, it's probably easier to emulate the port. I, I guarantee you that was Sonic's, lo uh, Sonic's logic. That was Sega's logic. <laughs> Woo, go me! Sonic's logic. Sonic, Sonic has no logic at this well, point. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the way it's like Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection, when most of the games are not really going to have Sonic in it, it's kind of strange. It's kind of equating Sonic <laughs> with Sega. So, you know, <laughs> I think that's probably how you end up thinking about Sonic's logic. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> He's like the Monopoly man, he just sort of sits there and it's his game. <laughs> it is his game, you know it is. <laughs> that was, uh, so like I said, you were really close when you were guessing Flicky because... Yeah, I'm sure Flicky's been in a lot of these compilations as well because it's quite a, you know, it's another one of their favourites. And that's about, like, that's about rescuing little birds. Um, so what are the creatures yeah. that you rescue in, in 3D Blast? I think they're just flickies. Oh, they're literally they're flickies, flickies, like a reference. Oh, okay. Yes. I yes. Guess that makes yes. Sense. And uh, 
you have to collect all five and they fly around behind you. Uh, and then you open if you collect all of them in the area, I think it's five, uh, then the portal opens. Um, and you get to go to the next section of the level. So they fly around. They're flickies. Yeah. They're all flickies. I thought that was kind of weird. Because like in other Sonic games, when you destroy monsters, there are all sorts of different animals trapped within. Yeah. But uh, in this game, I, they're all flickies. And it's Flicky Island. And I think in, in Europe... It's actually called Sonic 3D Flicky's Island. Oh, right, yeah. The game. Maybe Flicky was a big brand in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I always thought of it as being kind of an homage to the early Genesis game. Or was it Genesis or Mega Drive? Uh, well, Master actually, System? I think it was, well, it was originally an arcade game like from the mid-80s, but I, I don't know that they ever actually released it for like the Master System. Which I suppose they could have done. I, I only remember. I, it I know they did. I know they released it on either Mega Drive or Master System. It was. I think it was an early, early Mega Drive game, like you know, very early. 90s. I think it was because I think it's unlockable in, in Sonic Mega Collection uh, for the uh, GameCube, right. and I assume the other. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I think it's like I think it was like one of those launch, kind of like how we have really crude NES games on the launch for NES. That like that was NES, really. Sure, yeah. It's a, the, the, well, I mean, if it's a conversion of a 1984 arcade game or whatever, then it's not going to be pushing the boundaries of the Genesis in the uh, It wasn't. <laughs> <any point. laughs> no. So uh, we've probably spent enough time on, on the first uh, game here, so we're going to move on to game two, and uh, Greg chose this one. Yeah, yes, I did. A.K.A. James. <laughs> Very nicely atmospheric, that one. I'm glad you approve of my song selections. Well, for, yeah, I think it's a wonderful place to start.
not quite Sonic, is it? <laughs> Interest, there's a, there is a motif in there that may help people guess what this game is in that song. Excellent. Just as I didn't plan. <laughs> All right, so here's the question. Um, this game is notable for being one of the first games to use which peripheral? Right. 
That's it. I've said all right too many times coming back. I've said <laughs> enough. All right, enough. Shall I, uh, shall I spill the beans on the, on what this game is then, as I as I am responsible for it being here? Please do. Uh, so this game is Chirok 2 Seeds of Evil for the Nintendo 64. Um, evil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, this was, uh, yeah, it wasn't enough to call it Chirok 2. You had to have some sort of subtitle. <laughs> well, wasn't Turok 1 Turok Dinosaur, Dinosaur Hunter? Dinosaur Hunter, yeah, exactly. So I suppose they uh, wanted to uh, want to differentiate it in some ways. And uh, obviously, I, 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 first of all, we'll, we'll do the question, um, which was uh, what what was it the first to make use of? What a sort of peripheral uh, was it the first to make use of? And that was the N64 RAM expansion pack. Um, Indeed. Yeah, so uh, it's, uh, and and it, that kind of you know kind of makes me think. In some ways, Turok Two was like almost like the conduit of its day, in the sense that it was very ambitious and it it was all about pushing everything on the N64. Yeah, you know, it, re- it really tried to get absolutely everything out of the N64 that it could. First of all, obviously, it used the expansion pack when the Nintendo didn't have a vehicle to use it yet. And I don't think they really did until they packed it in with DK64, which was about a year later. So they were... They were <laughs> That's very, how I got mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they were very much ahead of the curve in that, in that respect. And it was very ambitious all round because... So you, you were trying to go in high res. They wanted to push... The, uh, the famous thing about the original T-Rock for the N64 was that the draw distance was pathetic. <laughs> the, 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 the ridiculous mm-hmm. yeah. pea soup. So they wanted to go high res and push the draw distance back. And then the music as well. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we all know, as we've kind of made fun of, uh, you know, <laughs> on various occasions, that the N64 didn't have a dedicated sound processor. So right. they, they were going for this more cinematic, orchestral style from what they had in the first one. Um, and, and more yeah, which is like very, very, like, bare-bones, atmospheric drums. Yeah, it was much you more know, ambient was... and, and all that sort of thing, and, you know, sort of a bit of, you know, sort of more sort of traditional-sounding synth uh, here and there, sort of sp- spliced in, whereas this, you know, you had, obviously, with the last song we just used, you've got sort of quite effective strings. You, uh, there were yeah. quite, I think there was a, a marsh level where there was some nice sort of uh, eerie kind of brass you know that was that was very sort of uh, authentic sounding, uh, and, and yeah. You know, so, and as we know, that must have taken you know something of a burden on the N64's processor to actually achieve some of these things. Although, and and uh, I think it was a pretty big cartridge as well. So they and they yeah. were pushing it on all fronts. And the and the other thing is that, of course, it was post Goldeneye. You know, the first Turok was ahead of Goldeneye by about uh, the mm-hmm. better part of a year. And then this was a year after GoldenEye, so they had to go multiplayer. You know, you had to do that. So they, they had multiplayer as well. So you, they just, they was like, we'll, we'll throw everything, kitchen sink, we'll do everything. I think there was even like a, a cheat you could do that would sort of let you play like Koa as well. Really? Yeah, yeah, there was. Like, I, th- I don't know whether it was because they had planned a co-op mode and abandoned it, or whether it was just like a bug. But basically, you could actually have two of you playing the one-player levels um, and stuff like that. So maybe they had planned a co-op mode, which would have been extremely ambitious. But as yeah. you might suspect, um, this didn't really sit well with the N64. <laughs> I don't think the N64... <laughs> the N64 didn't really appreciate being pushed quite so much because the frame rate was frequently abysmal, extremely choppy. Even, even, 
even uh, without this co-op cheat. Oh yeah, the, the co-op was farcical. I mean, that was uh, the, the, the the slideshow, you know. The, <laughs> but um, yeah, even the regular game, you know, was, was had some very significant frame rate problems, very frequently choppy. Because so that was the thing. Obviously, the original Europe, the pea soup, and all that, but it did run smoothly. Um, so the, 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 this sort of illustrated that trade-off quite sort of um, vividly. Uh, but it was impressive, there's no doubt about it. At the time, and I think at the time, obviously you'd be more forgiving of choppy frame rates because they were more prevalent. I think if you go back to it sure. any time recently, it look, it's kind of hard to believe that you thought it was kind of playable. Um, I, I yeah, well, I mean, like, Perfect Dark is pretty... I mean, at the time, people complained about frame rates for Perfect Dark. I, yeah, I, I, I would say it's... it's yeah, I mean, a Perfect Dark is certainly another one that... that I mean, again, so that was incredibly ambitious in terms of some of the things that all us... The, the, the robustness of the multiplayer mode, you know, having bots and being able to order them about yeah. and stuff like that. It, that was a similar sort of thing. Um, I'd say being a bit later in its life and not trying to run in high res, but still using the expansion pack, it was able to manage some of these things a little better. Um, mm. The game itself, I don't know, in some ways it was an improvement on the first one in the sense that obviously the, the environments were a lot more interesting and varied. They, they weren't, there wasn't a lot of variety in the first Turok at all, and in, and in this one you, you would have various different, kinds, completely different environments, like you had one that was set in a port, um, you know, so you had like ships and water and you know sort of uh, the stonework around the, around the port, and then you'd have stuff that's set in a bog or set in some sort of like you know it's insect-like hive, yeah, set in sort of a, a futuristic spaceship, You're completely different. Whereas the first two were kind of lacked that, so that was good. Uh, but and it eliminates some of those. The, the famous thing about Turok is a terrible jumping, like the you know like because yes. the jumping first person's hard enough, but. It wasn't just that, they had these stupid sections where it was literally jumping from like totem pole to totem pole. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching someone playing that, like before I owned an N64, I was watching someone play this game. I'm like, why are you playing this? This looks really, it's really stupid. It's it, is, it, it was utterly ridiculous that, that, you know, I mean, it didn't handle jumping all that well as it was, and then you're going to leverage it on pinpoint jumps. I mean, it was. That was ridiculous, and there was much, much less of that. The, the jumping wasn't necessarily still very good. Uh, you know, I don't think it really got cracked until Metroid Prime in terms of jumping in first mm -hmm. person, but at least the game design wasn't leveraged on you being able to do it that well, like right. very frequently. I mean, there were still some annoyances that I remember, but it wasn't as bad. As, all, as the first one. So, so what were so what were the bad things about Turok Two compared to Turok One? I think that one of the biggest problems was the, was the uh, dispersion of the save points. They were just too far apart at times, and you know that that would be a real problem because you know if you would you could play for a long period of time and then get to a part where you know you haven't been before, you don't know what's coming, and then see you know, something about the enemy placement or something you know catches you out, and then you're dead. Uh, and you haven't got to a safe point, and then it's like, well, now I've got to play, I don't know, 20 minutes of the game to get back to where I was, you know, and then, well, now I know what's coming, so maybe I'll get past that bit, but then, you know, you might play for yet another 10 minutes or something, and then something else will get you, you know, it was just too far apart. It, it kind of made it artificially difficult because you had to replay so much of the same things over and over again, and it wasn't particularly inviting in that sense, you know? That that sounds like, like a Metroid sequence where you have to get back from the boss to the save point, 
except drawn out a lot more. Yeah, because I mean, usually Metroid's Metroid games are very good about how they disperse their save points, and, and this was they were they were very 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 far apart. It just didn't you didn't feel like going right back to it, you know, not at all. I mean, it was exacerbated in my case because I had the game uh, the same Christmas as Ocarina of Time. Um, in 1998, uh, so that uh, had a very desirable alternative to go to. <laughs> that yeah. Might, yeah. Um, I did swap back and forth when I got stuck on either one, but you know, it, even without that, I think it was just it, that was just kind of silly, really. I, I don't see why they, they were. They, it seemed like it was almost trying to artificially increase the difficulty of the game when it really didn't need it, because it was quite it was quite a hard game. I, I never finished it. I kind of lost interest towards the towards the very end. Um, and the, the other notable thing I recall about this game is it got really good reviews at the time, um, and I think Edge gave it a nine. And later, sometime later, I don't know how, I didn't see this particular issue, but I heard about it. They actually basically like retracted that review score. They what? Of, yeah, they basically like issued a mea culpa and said we were wrong, and kind of threw the review under the bus. <laughs> So, Whoops, no one told me that it had a bad frame rate. Hold <laughs> yeah, on a second. Exactly. Let me get my red pen out. <laughs> I don't know whether it, I, you know, that says a lot about the sort of um, seduction of technical prowess on reviewers at the time, doesn't it? Um, that that yeah. perhaps, you know, you at the time you were willing to overlook these things because it's an N64 game running in high res. Or, well, I say high res, I mean standard definition, but, you know, that was high res for the N64. Right, right. Our website certainly has a few uh, reviews that the reviewers regret, whatever, giving them that highest score or that lowest score. But we don't go back and change it. We might, you know, we'll admit it in the forums or whatever. We'll say, yeah, I don't agree with my own review anymore. But well, I guess it wasn't like an official, it wasn't like an official changing, but uh, from what I understand, but it was just like they had some retrospective feature about like their reviews. Like they had like something about their hundred most like. In you know, sort of significant or noteworthy reviews that they'd ever done. Oh well, okay. Well, that's not as big a deal. It's not you as made it sound like uh, it's, you made it's it sound like they the way. Like, well, that's the kind of language that surrounds it. Is that it was like this almost like a retraction, but you know, I guess maybe it wasn't. It wasn't as official sounding as that in reality. Okay. Well, we we should get on to the next game. Um, and uh, I may have to spice in more Sonic music because uh, we talked for a while. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, uh, <laughs> alright, so game three.
that was the first song. Before you guess, we should play the second one, though. <laughs> That was quite the contrast. Uh, I'll get, uh, he was quite right to caution me. <laughs> yeah, uh, not a Game Boy game, folks. <laughs> um, sorry to burst your bubble. But uh, here's here's your question. Who composed the music for this game? Oh, that helps. <laughs> it doesn't help, I know. <laughs> Honestly, it's because I had a... One question first, but I thought it would help too much, so I changed it. And uh, that it's, it's fairly <laughs> useless. <laughs> Someone composed the music for this game, that narrows it down. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So what do you think the game is? Uh, <clears throat> well, I think uh, I know this one. It could be embarrassing because I do own it, but I haven't played it a great deal. But I'm pretty certain that it's World of Goo for WiiWare. It is World of Goo. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, it is. And uh, do, you, do you own it on your European? Yes, I do. Or? I've got this on my European Wii. I recently uh, took the bit of pill and Paper Mario and Diddy's Conquest had to go, unfortunately, <laughs> but to make space for Aww. World of Goo. But uh, yeah, I haven't played a great deal of this yet, but obviously it's something I'm very much looking forward to playing because it's uh, been so roundly praised uh, by uh, pretty much everyone that's uh, reviewed it. And uh, I haven't been disappointed so far, although I haven't got to any of the more sort of complicated stages, but seems like it's uh, really just perfect for a WiiWare game. You could just sort of sit down, click on the, the channel and you know, play it for a little bit and then, then you know, maybe just do one level you know, and come back another time. You can play it for very much as one of those games you can play for as little or as long as you like, even though it's quite addictive. Yeah, I, I confess I do not own this game and I don't really have a good reason. I really don't. I downloaded the PC version, right. the demo uh, of the PC version. And uh, I guess I liked it. It's kind of easy because it's you know the intro area. Yeah, sure. But um, but I mean I like the aesthetic, like the music, but I just wasn't convinced that I would want to play through the whole thing just because it's not my style of game. And that's a terrible thing to say. I know because it's been so yeah, praised. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. You know, I mean, I think even yeah, you know, it's just the way it is with with, with personal preferences. You know, I mean, something can be absolutely excellent and you're not necessarily going to be compelled to to play it or watch it or listen to it and you know i mean so yeah. if someone said this is the greatest romantic comedy ever made i might not be compelled to watch it <laughs> <laughs> well that's partially because romantic comedy is really poorly defined <laughs> yeah that's uh, uh it's, it's, and it's, everything's it's, a romantic comedy that yeah fair point <laughs> it's, you know what i mean sometimes if, if it isn't your your kind of thing the, the, the quality isn't necessarily gonna just uh, do it on its own but i mean with this uh, i mean uh, what it's the actual the music that which you know been sort of generally described sort of very Danny Elfman-esque um, you know in, yeah. in his work that he in the work he does with Tim Burton in particular um, absolutely and, and it is very much so and, and that is really impressive actually you know that the, with a WiiWare game like this you know obviously it's got a sort of a, a nice sort of simple clean kind of look um, and all that and, and you know you, and it seems like it's got a reasonable amount of content and things but you wouldn't necessarily expect them to gonna go the extra mile with the music and things like that yeah the music is really amazing and it was all composed by Kyle Gabler uh, and one of the two people that worked on this game. Yeah, it's because they were only, people. like, I think a third person provided some sort of, like, assistance, but basically it's just two people for everything. It's, uh, uh, and, and I guess that's all, I mean, that's all really high-quality synth stuff, too. I mean, yeah. I had trouble telling it was an orchestra. It was not an orchestra. I mean, I know it couldn't have been based on yes. the budget for the game. And, and, then the, and, the, yeah, but, and you can listen, if you listen carefully, you can kind of hear, like, well, the orchestra wouldn't do it quite that cleanly or whatever. But it's Pushing it really, uh, really well. Uh, if it's something it that has to fit in the WiiWare size constraints as well, uh, you just would, you wouldn't intuitively expect, you know, for, for, as you said, budgetary, you know, the size constraints and just the sort of the time and effort reasons, you know. I mean, uh, the thing about WiiWare compared to some of the other downloadable platforms in some ways is that it's like more 
it's kind of a bit more hands-off and it's kind of like, well, you know, you can pretty much just put whatever you like on it. And Yeah, it's pretty bare bones. You get you get a lot of pretty bare bones stuff and, and you know, so that's fine to, to an extent, you know. You just want to get the sort of clean, simple gameplay experience at an affordable price. Then that's then that's that's good, you know. That's one way of sort of using the WiiWare medium. But with World of Goo, it's sure. giving you a rather more well-rounded kind of experience, which is particularly surprising from a two-man development team. Yeah, well, it harkens back to a simpler time when uh, when one little men jumped over barrels. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, it's I mean, I mean, my observations just from what I've played so far is already you see some of the more interesting things like rather than just obviously like the core of it is, is building these structures out of these goo balls that kind of connect together when you sort of stretch them out um and yeah i mean the standard stuff like building a tower building a bridge and all that is kind of somewhat it, you know it's still kind of fun and the interface generally works pretty well uh with the with the pointer and stuff um but um what's really starting to interest me is some of these ones where it's almost you you're getting more into the realm of like a contraption that you're building Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, like you've got like uh, one level. We uh, 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 this is a bit of a spoiler in terms of how to solve it. So you know, if you, if you're worried about that sort of thing, uh, you might want to uh, skip or something. But it, you have a level where you have like a, a, a one structure um, that you need to get to the other side of a of a sort of crevasse, but you can't build a bridge to get there. So what you actually have to do is use these balloons and sort of actually alternate alternate sort of putting them on and pulling them off so it actually drags it sideways and then once you get it over the crevasse you get other goo balls and you can sort of build like a almost like a little rope line down into the crevasse to the exit Uh, it's you know stuff like that where you know it's not just building it's kind of more puzzly and there's this kind of amusing kind of contraption elements another one where you sort of build the goo balls up until they can sort of get attached to these rollers which just force them all up and so it's that, that kind of more imaginative kind of thing is, is is what seems to be the promise for later in the game because I'm I'm only in like the second chapter I think hmm. cool well uh, World of Goo obviously highly praised for its music and for its for its general design so uh, don't be like me I guess download it um, I do it, but I don't have a good excuse. It is a lot of blocks. I don't, wanna, is, I don't feel like it. It's a lot of blocks. It really is. I think it's like three hundred odd. Okay. That 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 was I, a something I, of an impediment yeah. to me getting it. Actually. It really is a shame that that has to be an impediment. <laughs> I know. You know, the guy. Like, I, I don't really want to clean today. I'm not going to buy this. So. All right, so this was selected by uh, my former roommate, Steve. That's another one of his. Um, and uh, excellent choice, of course. Yeah, so, great. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, and you can get it on your PC or OS X as well. So if for some reason you don't own a Wii, uh, you can probably still play it on those two platforms. So check it out. Let's go on to game four.
Mm. Yay, hooray! No, you're not. You're not gonna sort of do another one of those switcheroos here, where the next the next song's gonna be like from the Nightmare Before Christmas, is it? Maybe. <laughs> it actually better be because if it is eight bit, I'm the you know, chances are <laughs> I'm gonna get it. Not 8-bit. <laughs> well, it's a, a very nice example of 8-bit music, I dare say, but I am almost assured it's not going to get this. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a shame. There's always the hint question. Here's the question. Yeah, yeah. Here's the question. The fifth level starts with what message to the player? Oh, good. <laughs> it's all obvious now. Yes. <laughs> So surely you figured it out. So <laughs> yeah, oh tell yeah. me what it is. No, no I'm afraid uh, you're going to have to uh, divulge on this one. Aww, it's Marble Madness. Oh. This is the NES version of Marble Madness. Wow. Do that... you know who ported that? Uh, uh, no. no. Uh, Rare actually was in charge of porting this oh, game. Oh, right, yeah. I, I knew there was some connection, but I didn't whether know whether it was like their game originally or that it was their port or something. I... Yeah, it was originally released on an Atari arcade system. 
and I know it's been on a bajillion different platforms since then. I don't think the NES version is considered one of the better versions, but it's the one that I owned. So no, it's probably uh, the one that a lot of people own, <laughs> given yeah, the popularity and, of the uh, NES. And you know, it, it's real fun. I mean, the controls. I mean, the game was originally designed for a trackball uh, for the arcade. Right. So of course, the D-pad isn't the best substitute, but. Uh, it's a really creative game, and even on the NES, they were able to kind of emulate the kind of grid environment that that was found on the uh, arcade game. And um, mm. you can play two players, where it's kind of, I guess it's competitive racing. Um, you can knock each other off if you feel like it, but usually you wind up uh, hurting yourself too. So <laughs> yeah, well, that reminds me of F Zero X. It is a little bit like that. Yeah, <laughs> Selena. Uh, I mean, you can either kind yeah. of be gentlemen and say, you know, we're both going to try to beat this game, or you can kind of say, ha ha, I'm going to beat you. Bam, and you knock them off. Yeah, she would mutual destruction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, but I mean, there's some really creative stuff. It's a short game, but uh, it's a lot of fun, and, and you know, you can go for a high score just beating the game requires a lot of focus because you're timed and the time is is carried over to the next uh, right. the next course so like if you beat the second level with only five seconds left you probably won't have enough time to uh, beat it I mean they'll give you like 30 more seconds but you're probably not going to be able to make it yeah, so, so you, kind of, you, you kind of have to refine now how quick... It's not just enough to sort of be able to clear a level at some point. If you want to beat the game, you have to be able to clear levels quick enough to have enough time carried over. Exactly, yeah, because by the time you get to the well, last guess, level, it gives you like 20 yeah, seconds, which in, in the game, the level is pretty hard. The thing about so. that, the thing about that, I suppose, that's quite good is that it kind of gives you, as long as the level design is kind of up to the, up to the task, it gives you more of a kind of in, you, in, it makes replaying through levels like more engaging because there's actually like you know, there's an incentive to just do it better. Yeah, you know, exactly. Than just like you know, with a lot of games where you just replay through the levels again and again. Apart from like maybe like losing like lives or something, if it's that kind of game where the lives carry over, you've got finite continues. That it really isn't that much like you know you're just playing through it again. I mean that it's not any different, and you're not, you're sort of goals are not any different than yeah. the first time. Uh, if you're good enough that you can consistently beat this game, then maybe you don't want to play it anymore. But until yeah. you're consistently that good, there's always a challenge involved in playing through the game. And the game's short. There's like I think six levels in the NES game, and um, it, so there is there is this kind of you know well I got ten minutes to kill or fifteen minutes to kill let's do it you know and since it's hmm. co it's not co-op it's two player competitive at the same time uh, yeah you know there's an added you know hey let's let's play you know so yeah, yeah. It, it really is a great little game and uh, I don't know if it'll ever come out on virtual console or anything I don't really know who owns the rights to that game um, mm. and the different versions probably have different rights involved for you know rare maybe has a stake yeah in, it, it could be a bit of a tangled kind of situation it was published by milton bradley on the nes and and developed by by rare and you know it's it's a big mess but maybe maybe they can sort it out for maybe like a genesis version yeah. or something i don't know and again with the uh, with the with the what the single virtual console releases a week or whatever oh god in North yeah America. it's uh, you, you're going to be getting going a long time before you get to the ones that are like somewhat tricky to get on <laughs> it seems yeah so but uh, it really is a fun game there was one interesting thing I thought about the music, especially the last song, is that it, it was one of the sort of most 
obvious attempt to emulate a sort of classic theatrical kind of score for a for an action movie with 8-bit with I've ever heard, you know, the sort of the pounding kind of percussion and the sort of sudden sort of blares of, of something and all that. You had the sort of moment where it rose a bit and it just seemed like it was like trying to emulate like the score for Aliens or something. Well, you know, it works <laughs> then, well because you, you have this ticking time bomb here, essentially. Yeah, that, that, see, that's because that's and, the thing, because that's what I was thinking of, like these countdown scenes in Aliens or like the original Star Wars when they have to blow up the Death Star. And then when you said Marble Madness, I was like, eh? but, but I yeah, suppose no, if it, it is a race against the clock, then that and, is exactly the same kind of context, isn't it? Yeah, and I think maybe the the third song I played, I'm not sure, but um, there, the the second to last level in the game is, I think it's lovingly called Silly, is the name of it, Silly. And uh, basically they, they screw around with the controls and the physics of the game, where you're going... <laughs> You're going up instead of down, like, and if you're rolling, you roll up a hill instead of down a hill, and it, it, it gets a little confusing. And sometimes your ball gets, your marble will get stuck on an, on an edge, and you know, right. it's really disorienting. But uh, there really is like a panicky moment where like I can't control this thing. The time is running out. I'm almost at the end of the game. Come on, man. You know, <laughs> it really does work get, well. It really is designed. Trying like to that. get the heart racing, the sweat dripping down your temple and what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it really is a nicely designed little game, and uh, I do recommend it. If I've only played the NES version, I, I imagine the Genesis version is very similar. Um, mm. uh, so uh, check it out. Yeah, do, do. If, if you have a way, a means to check it out, check it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and that silly course. I'm sorry. The answer to the question. Uh, ah, they, yes, they, yes. they have a little message at the beginning that says everything you know is wrong. <laughs> so it's warning you that like up is down or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It cryptically warns you, and you start wondering like, what what the heck's going on here? So, <laughs> all right, we got one more game here. It was picked by Greg. Uh, enjoy.
Uh, once again, I, I approve of your song choice, so very nice start. Um, although I'd say you can't really put uh, too much of a foot wrong picking songs from this game, in my opinion. There's, there's, there's a lot of good ones. Yes, uh, it's not a game I had heard of before. It's kind of a hint, but uh, mm. I really like the music from this game.
Hello, hello, hello. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> Another excellent song there. Very, uh, very sort of atmospheric and uh, complicated. Yeah, I mean, this entire episode has kind of been filled with kind of sinister music. <laughs> If you think about it, yeah, it's a fair bit. This is sort of a little, you know, uh, not 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 cheerful. You know, maybe it's kind of eerie, maybe it's kind of atmospheric or or sort of somber. Not evil, not evil. Not not quite. No, not not quite that. No. uh, Here's here's the question: Um, Which weapon from this game shares its name with one from a different game from the same developer?
A very nice uh, up-tempo song to finish with there. Yeah, uh, I, I like how the when it plays it a second time, the instrumentation is seems slightly different. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's quite. Uh, like I said, it's one of the more complex, uh, one of the more complex sort of uh, scores, if you like, because uh, it does have a bit more of an orchestral feel than than, than some of its brethren. But uh, I suppose I shall first, before getting into that, uh, say what the game is. Uh, this is Axley for the Super NES, and uh, it's a it's a shooter, actually both horizontally and vertically scrolling shoot 'em up uh, by Konami. So can you explain the name Axley? I mean, I don't. I think really it's. Get it. ju- I, I think it's pronounced Axley. Maybe it's pronounced Axley. I don't know. Uh, but uh, um, it's. Uh, I think it's just the name of the ship. That you know, Ooh, you, you're, you're, it's a classic. You know, you're in a ship. Um, you have one ship against the galaxy or whatever, and that, <laughs> and, that, and that's what it's called. <laughs> All and, right, uh, <laughs> thank you, Konami. But yeah, this, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the the third song sounds a little more like uh, what you might expect from a Konami scrolling shooter like this but uh yeah, even this yeah, even even that song gets kind of pensive and that's a good word to describe a lot of the songs from this episode pensive. yeah there's a bit more of a kind of a somber melancholy kind of quality to it which is quite unusual for a shooter um i, I it's it's uh, and it's like i said it's a, it's more towards it's still got its little sci-fi flourishes and whatnot but it's more towards the orchestral than you know your traditional gradients with sort of glor- gloriously synthy you know cheerful kind of stuff um so i kind of I, I kind of like that it's quite a different kind of uh, it's quite a different kind of sound for the for, for the genre and it makes excellent use of the super nes's wonderful sound Capabilities, you know, with the mm-hmm. instrumentation and things, it really does sound very nice and really good percussion. Yeah, you know, everything stands up really well, even you know, just now. That's the great yeah. thing about the Super NES is you know, these games are getting on for 20 years old now, and they still stand up so well. It's, it's remarkable. The best ones, anyway. The best yeah. ones. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I suppose uh, we should answer the question. Uh, first, yeah, uh, speaking of Konami. Yes. So, uh, so, so there's another we- there's another weapon. From a different game that has the same name, and uh, yeah, the the the, the, yeah, the so the name of the weapon in question is the Morning Star, um, because what happens in Axler is as you complete levels, you actually gain access to new weapons, and you can kind of choose which combinations you want, sort of like Gradius, but you actually add to the possible combinations as you go. And of course, the Morning Star is also the fully powered up version of the Whip in Castlevania. I forgot about that. Clever, clever. Yeah. So, so, um, and of course, this uh, yeah, being made by Konami, I think one of the one of the programmers, one of the someone quite important on Axley, also worked on Castlevania Four and went on to actually help establish Treasure very soon after this, hmm. um, because this was a game. I think it was about '92, and of course, Treasure, their games start sort of filtering through onto the, the Genesis quite soon after that. So it probably was one of the last things that he would have done. Wow, uh, this was a 1992 before. Super Nintendo game? Yes, that's right. Yeah. That sounds really good for a 92 SNES game. Yeah, I mean, but Konami was so on the forefront with that. I mean, Castlevania 4 was even earlier, and that yeah. sounds tremendous. It really does. I mean, uh, several games afterwards that have yeah, good music and all that, but in terms of just the technical aspect, like the quality of the instrumentation, very few people could match what Konami were doing for my money on the Super Nintendo, they were really right out. I mean, they had great NES music too, yeah. um, but what they, what they did with the Super NES was really great, and this is a, a fine example of that. So, so it was like Konami toning down 
how many scrolling shooters it was making, and so this guy left and made treasure. Is that kind of <laughs> <story>? <laughs> well, I mean that's the thing. Obviously, it's a bit of a different scrolling shooter this one because it does. It's uh, I suppose it's a bit like Life Force in the sense mm. that it has uh, also a salamander that has vertical and side scrolling right. bits, and the vertical bits use Mode Seven to sort of um, give this impression that you're actually sort of traveling over a curved surface. So it was like he was sort of over the curvature of the earth. Um, okay. and, and that was kind of, that is a cool effect. I mean, it might, it might be a little disorienting for some people perhaps actually, but um, it's a, and, and that sometimes with some of the sort of like environmental obstacles, it can make it a little unclear, like where yeah. you are in relation to them. Because your ship is traveling along a 2D plane, but there's this kind of weird 3D element to it. So. That, that that's not ideal, but it, it it it's it's nice to have something that gives a bit of a different look than all those those vertical shooters that you know were about at the time, and the side scrolling stuff looks pretty good. But it's always just a bit more orthodox. Yeah. Um. And it, it, it plays it plays quite a sedate pace compared to some shooters. I mean, I guess some of this is maybe you know some of the limitations of what the Super NES could do but it's quite slow but it's all very impressive and uh, certainly later on in the game it gets quite busy so um is this available on Virtual Console in all regions? This, yeah, this is this is available in Virtual Console in Japan, which is where I'm playing it from, and in North America since about the end of 2007. So uh, it's uh, it, it's it's one of these games that a lot of people talk about in retrospect that they liked and you know that, that it was very impressive for the time and all that. But apparently, it was not a commercial success. It was actually a bit of a bomb, um, and it never got. It pro, it's something like apparently, if you completed it like twice on hard or something you got a message promising a sequel which, <laughs> which never happened <laughs> it's always a danger to put on uh. <laughs> yeah you know Axolate will return in the man with the golden gun or whatever but it is a really good game um, and I, I think some of it maybe is that it didn't certainly what I read at the time because um, I like these kind of games when I was a kid but I like them now but it was that you know it didn't people didn't seem that excited about it. It got good reviews, very solid reviews, but it was like I don't know whether people just thought shooters were getting a bit old hat by '92. Well, you everyone know, owned Turbo Graphics 16 by then. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's even though it had this nifty kind of graphical thing, you know, maybe people were too fussed about the rest of the game. But you know, it's got a, it's got an interest in different weapon system. Like I said, you sort of gain access to weapons as the levels progress. And you can put in different combinations and it's not a one-hit kill you've got three different weapons like a standard blaster a sort of omnidirectional weapon and then a missiles and each time you get hit you lose the weapon that you're currently using this sounds until... a little more up my alley i am definitely a bigger fan of, of the yeah that's not like the, the, the old old stuff and so there isn't really a power-up system like, there's nothing that you actually collect that makes your weapons better. The only thing is what you choose before you enter them. And like, and you gain access to more weapons as it goes. So I, I like that, because these games are really leveraged on the power-up, and, you know, you, you, you can't... You know, then when you find yourself trying to continue, you've got nothing, and you, yeah. you're just uh, you're pathetic yeah. in the face of these crazy hordes of it. I, d I dislike that, and, and with this... It's not like that at all, and it's got the the omnidirectional weapons really kind of cool because what happens is like when you first press the button, it's sort of shooting behind you, and then as you continue to hold it, it sort of sweeps around towards the front, 
And so what you can kind of do is, is you know, do a sort of cycling to sort of shoot in waves around you. Or if you want to keep it focused on a particular point, you can actually sort of rapidly tap it so it holds it in place. So it's kind of this different, I don't know, the gameplay is more, more interesting than your average shooter where you just hold down the button and you know, hope for the best. And move. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, move a lot. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, that was our last game selection. I hope you enjoyed uh, the selections. I'm using too many same words. I hope you enjoyed uh, <laughs> the repertoire. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, uh, that's pretty, pretty, very nice lineup tonight. I, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, once again, send in your requests. I, I do have a few still, but I love to get more. And, um, I mean, I think la- last week's episode was... It is kind of last week's episode because I recorded on, on the Wednesday. But uh, the last episode was uh, was really good, I thought. I thought it really turned out well. So please send yeah, in lots, your requests. Yeah, lots of really nice requests in there. Yeah, yeah, very good. And, and um, yeah, so you know the drill. Send them to me, TYP at NintendoWorldReport.com. Uh, and I want to thank Greg James Lay for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for for joining me this evening or afternoon? No, yeah, absolute pleasure. Uh, I hope we can do it again sometime a little sooner. <laughs> All right, that's been the case so, in the past. Uh, until then, ta-ta. Bye bye, everybody. Sonic 3D Blast is copyright 1996 Sega. Turok 2 Seeds of Evil is copyright 1998 Acclaim. World of Goo is copyright 2008 2D Boy. Marble Madness is copyright 1984 Tengen. Axley is copyright 1992 Konami.